Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians is where we're going to be all semester. So if you got an iPhone Bible or if you got a Bible you brought with you, or if you don't have a Bible and you want to get your hands on just a hard copy, there's something a little bit different than that, than, than just the iPhone. We've got them around the room. And honestly, just grab one or just take one on your way out. And that is uh, yours to keep. Uh, while you're flipping there, um, I want to tell you a little story that, that's going to, um, we're going to need to hold on to this illustration. I have never built a house, but I watched a house get built in my backyard. Uh, yes, in 2019, uh, there was a house, um, we ended up buying a home that was, uh, that was awesome. It's just a kind of a normal house, but what was great about it is there was a big front yard and a really big backyard. And so there's like a half acre backyard and then our front yard is really big and it's got lots of trees and we got, Danielle and I have two boys and we were like, oh, this is great. And so the house was normal, but the yard was epic. And one of the things we really wanted was we wanted to get my parents who are studs to live as close as possible because that means there's free babysitting for us. And so we were like, yes, we want this. And so we offered to just give basically a section of our backyard to my parents. So my, my parents sold their little house in South Fort Worth and then they started building a little house for themselves on the other side of our driveway on our property. Um, and there were three things that had to happen. Um, three things that if, if any of them didn't happen, we wouldn't have a house there. And the first was we had to get a flat spot of ground. And so if you looked in my backyard, there was this half acre that just kind of went and it was just, just a hill. It was just a huge hill that went up to an alley. And so we had to level that and get it totally flat, which honestly was the hardest part of the whole deal. That took us about a year just we had built two four foot walls that were three feet apart and all this retaining walls to hold back all the dirt so we could even just get a spot of ground that was flat enough for them to build their their little house and so we had to get the ground flat and then the second thing is we had to actually pour a foundation right we had to pour a foundation that worked and that was level and that had all the the plumbing and all those things connected to it and then the third thing was the thing that is the most obvious which is then actually on that foundation building a house um, what we're going to see in Galatians, and specifically what we're going to talk about in this sermon, guys, is, is this idea. There's a biblical concept that we're going to see that if we don't have all three aspects of it, um, we're going to talk about these three facets of this biblical concept. And if we don't have all three of them, then we really don't understand it. If, if we haven't built on them, if you leave out one of these aspects, then there's a disconnect, which means, yeah, you might have a couple of aspects, but it's not going to stand, it's not going to hold, and it's not really true. And so the biblical concept that the Galatians are whiffing on here in this book um, is one of the most important concepts in all of Scripture. It's not top ten, it's not top three, I, I would say it is the most important concept in Scripture. And we're going to define it and we're going to unroll it in all of its complexities at least um, as much time as we have in 30 minutes okay so Galatians 6 I love Galatians 1 I love that you're here uh, let's do this here we go we're going to start in verse 6 and we'll throw it up on the screen for you too this is what the apostle Paul says to his people he says I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we 
or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The gospel. Last week, if you were here, um, I told you it would be the focus of today's sermon, and I hope you see why. Even in the four verses here in chapter one that we're jumping off from today, the Galatians, these people, this church that the Apostle Paul is writing to in this letter, they are quickly deserting Jesus, it says. Right? They are turning to another gospel, and he makes this point, and there isn't really another gospel. So you're turning to a false gospel, is, is Paul's point. And let me give an abridged version of what's happening here. Um, Galatians had been taught the gospel, right? They had received it by grace. Paul had shown up to these people and he had preached and taught to them what the gospel is in its depth, in its complexity, right? And he had taught, and they had received it by faith. The Holy Spirit had filled them. Their lives were drastically changed. Not just their theological understanding about that, their lives looked different. Something happened. Their world, their day-to-day lives changed. Then, Paul moves on to other cities and other places to continue to share the gospel. He's checking back in, and he realizes when he checks back in, what happened? Apparently, some fellas showed up in Galatia, and they started preaching and teaching a gospel that wasn't what Paul had said and wasn't what these people had first received, and they had drifted, and they left that gospel that had changed them, and they traded it out uh, for something that was false. And so Paul's really, um, he's emotional. Right? He is astonished. He's coming in hot in this letter. And it is this whole letter is this really loving but really stern rebuke of these people. And believe it, man, I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And if they are running towards danger, if they are running towards something that is not good and, and very dangerous, you better believe I'm going to yell and I'm going to sternly, lovingly, out of love, say, turn back, return to where is safe. And that's what Paul is doing. Here's an observation I want to point out to you. It seems like the Galatians didn't actually know what they were doing, right? It it seems like they didn't really, it wasn't intentional that they were leaving the gospel, right? It seems like even Paul is surprised, right? He uses this word right off the bat. He's astonished. I mean, he's literally like, what happened? Um, This correction was probably a surprise to them. We usually don't see it either. Right? We're here this morning, and so often we get off and we don't see it either. We're not here thinking, yep, I have believe a false gospel, but it happens all the time in our life, right? All the time we drift, I drift. And, and one of the things too is then when I get called out, when I start kind of shifting and then there, there's things in my life and, and, and somebody kind of says, hey, this isn't in line with, with who God is and what he's called you to be, those kind of things. I have two options. I can be defensive and I can, I can you know, dismiss that person who, who called me out, and I can just say, you know, I'm going to invalidate you because of your hypocrisy. Who are you? Look at your sin. You can't tell me I'm wrong, or I invalidate them because they're mean, right? And because it's like, wow, that hurt my feelings. How, how dare you tell me that? Or I can invalidate them just because I'm in denial that I'm, that I'm off of where I'm supposed to be. Or my other option is I can wrestle with it. I can wrestle. I can listen. I can evaluate what correction might actually be needed There is nothing more important than getting the gospel of Jesus right in our lives. Getting our relationship with Christ correct and keeping it there. But there is also nothing more difficult in the Christian life than holding on to that. 
than not drifting, than not receiving the gospel and then turning to other things in so many different ways. Deserting Jesus, trading the gospel for a false one. Um, I do it, you do it. We don't mean to do it at times, but that should scare us, right? There should be a healthy fear of, Lord, use your word, use your spirit, reveal, God, have I traded you? Have, have I settled for something less than what you have built for me? Have I just, in this building of the house, have I just skipped a step that's really, really important? Um, the rest of our time, I want to do one thing. I want to do one thing, and I just want to look at the gospel. That's what I want to do. I want to look at the gospel, and I want to look at its implications, right? And this, this passage talks about those who have preached the gospel uh, contrary to what is true, right? And there's plenty of false versions. There's plenty of ways that we distort or, or tweak, which we'll hear. And the reality is this semester, we'll talk about a lot of them. We'll even dig in later in the semester into the specific way that the Galatians are getting off. We'll get into that. Plenty of weeks in this sermon. Um, but today, we're going to spend time not looking at the wrong versions. We're not going to go down a rabbit trail of here's a wrong way and here's a wrong way. And here's a wrong. We're just going to focus on what really is just the right one. You may have heard this, but whenever they train people who um, their job is to like protect from counterfeits, right? Counterfeit money out there. And, and there's whole government organizations and their job is to make sure that like they get counterfeit bills off the street. How they train them, right? is not by studying all of the counterfeits. It's by just studying the real thing, right? They just study and look and hold and feel the real thing so that when they find a counterfeit, they, they realize there's something off. There's so, this doesn't weigh, right? This doesn't feel. There's a texture thing. There's a color thing. That's what we're going to do. What is the real thing? What is the gospel, right? That's a question we're going to put up on the screen here. What is the gospel? Um, and, and not just a Sunday school answer for this, right? Um, I'm going to give you three layers to it, right? Kind of similar to the, the house idea. I'm going to give you three layers to just kind of these huge facets of it. And the first is this. The first is that the gospel is historical. The gospel is a historical reality that we believe. First Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says this. Um, it's, it's also Paul. He's writing to a different group of people, which is great because he gives us a really good cross-reference. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. So he's about to remind them. Hey, guys, don't forget the gospel. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, this ongoing work of God in you to bring you to salvation, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this is a great passage, like I said, because um, we get this really great cross-reference. Galatians, they've drifted, they've forgotten the gospel, and now here in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, hey, look, literally to the church, don't forget it. So then here's, here's how he describes it, verse 3 and 4 of chapter 15. Underline this, if it's not underlined in your Bible. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. Right there. Right there. Paul is writing this letter to say, hey, don't forget this massively important thing that apparently all of these churches drift away from and, and are quick to forget, just like we are. And he says, let me remind you, it is Jesus' death, right, as prophesied in scripture, right, and for the purpose of the forgiveness of, of his people's sins, it is his burial, and it is Jesus's resurrection from the dead after three days, according to what scripture said was going to happen, right? We believe foundationally to fully understand the gospel, 
To fully understand the gospel is to understand and believe that the gospel is a historic reality, right? We, we, have, we have to do that, that 2,000 years ago, we believe there was a Jewish carpenter, Jesus. He was in Nazareth, and he walked this earth, and he lived a life completely unique from anyone up to that point and anyone after that point. He claimed to be God's son. He claimed to be indwelled with, with the inerrant God himself, that he was without sin and that he walked this life to the standard that God set for us that we don't measure up to and he did because he was God with flesh on, right? That's what we believe. And then the, then the Roman government took this guy, this Jewish carpenter, and he was set up by his Jewish peers and he, and he was executed by the Roman government who's really good at executing people. And he, and he hung on a cross and he died and then he was buried in a tomb that somebody loaned him and then we believe historically, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. That he rose from the dead, that he was seen by a lot of people, that there was a revolution that happened because people saw, oh my gosh, we watched you executed. We saw what you claimed, who you claimed to be and what you claimed to do, and now it's validated by the fact that you have actually defeated death and now ascended into heaven. That's what we believe. The gospel is a historic reality that we believe. Maybe you're here and you're not there yet. When you hear that, you think, I'm not there. I didn't grow up in Sunday school and I wasn't told this as a little kid my whole life and so I'm, I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid yet. You are in the right place, okay? Praise God that you're here. I love that you're here. You don't have to be there yet. I want you to know if you're not there, if you're checking us out, if you're trying to figure out what you believe, good. This is a really sweet season of your life to be able to figure that out. Keep digging, Keep researching, right? The historical reliability of the gospel is something that, that I didn't always believe. There was this season of my life where I was like, do I, do I really believe this? And did the research and dug in and was overwhelmed by the amount of evidence, how much more logical sense it makes, what happened in the world at that time, right? Looking at history um, was really led down this path to say, I really believe in the bodily resurrection of this guy named Jesus, which validates who he said he was and what he said he came to do. And so if you're still thinking and investigating, don't give up, don't just dismiss it. Research. There, I, have, I have two shelves on my bookshelf, two rows of books that are all about investigating this idea. If you want to borrow one or have one, reach out to me and I would love to give you one. If you want to talk to us, wrestle with that. It is foundational to what we believe. It's not a fairy tale. We believe it's a historical reality, but maybe you do believe this, right? Maybe, maybe you're like me. You've done the research. You've really wrestled with it. You've kind of had some doubts and thought, man, I'm going to investigate. Why do I really believe this is true? And you're in this place and you think, yes, I, I do believe in the historical reality of the gospel. But it's kind of underwhelming, right? 1 Corinthians 15, here's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus kind of it feels a bit underwhelming right it's an amazing thing that happened historically um, but if the church if the body of Christ if a bunch of Christians are, are only really unified by our confidence in the historical accuracy of the resurrection of Jesus alone the church will be a really sad and a really weak place if that's what unifies us is just, hey, we all believe that this is a historically accurate uh, story, then, then great, but that is going to be a really weak and really sad. We're going to have a flat spot with no house, right? 
So let me transition to what else the gospel is then, right? Because it builds on that historical reality. And how it builds is that the gospel is not just a historical reality, it is also theological. This truth of who Jesus is has gone from this thing that happened in history to now this theological reality. And by that I mean this. Theology is um, the knowledge of God, right? And, and so it's, it's who is the creator of the cosmos and, and how are we to relate to him and, and what does this look like and, and, and what does he look like in his character and what is he up to, right? Those are these theological questions that we should wonder and we should ponder about. And so let me take you to a verse that... Um, that I think really sees the historical reality and then, and then what'll happen really beautifully, it's, it looks at the death, burial, and resurrection, but then you're gonna see simultaneously that that history says everything about our theology. Look at Galatians chapter four, four through six, and we'll put it up on the screen for you also. Uh, Galatians chapter four, four through six. This is just later in Galatians, Paul's gonna get to this, and, and look what he says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, right? So here we go, the birth of Christ, right? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. This is beautiful, Okay, so, so what's happening is he's saying in the fullness of time, right, in, in prophecy, just like gospel said, hey, man, he, he, they said it was going to happen. In the fullness of time, when the time was right, the God who is writing the story of all history, his plan A for how he was going to interact with his creation was in the fullness of time he brings the birth of Jesus. And then, and then it talks about this idea that he dies and he raises. And, and what did it do? What did it produce? What does it say about God and our chance to spend eternity with him and to meet him? Well, it talks about this idea that he's born under the law, right? The law is the standard, the standard that God has set for his people to say, this is who I am as God, and this is the standard, this is the law, right? And Jesus' sacrifice, that historic event that, that Rome just thought, okay, here's another Jewish guy we're gonna execute, that that historic event was God using his perfect, blameless son to pay the debt for us, a bunch of imperfect, broken people showing us grace through that. His sacrifice paid the penalty of the world's massive debt and deficit, not being able to meet that standard. And then it says, right, redeemed out from under the penalty that would have cost, that will cost people hell if they are not in Christ, if they don't have saving faith in Christ. But those who do have saving faith are then redeemed out from under that burden, right? And not just our penalty is paid, but a relationship. You see a relationship here happens the theology of now I have access to God it says his spirit is in me and now I can approach God and call him Abba father and if you hear last week this idea of Abba is this really intimate word for for dad that I can approach the creator now because of the historical reality of what happened 2,000 years ago there is now a theological bridge to who God is and how he has now allowed those who are his kids to be adopted that's available to us that's huge. That's massive. The historical event that happened is a theological reality. It defines how the created connects with the creator. That's what we, that's what we believe. That's what we get to preach. That's what we get to look at. That's what we get to sit in. That's what we get to live out. That is amazing. So now what? 
right? I, yes, God did that thing. And that, that means this is who he is, that now Jesus is, is king and he reigns and, and we're adopted and we have access to him because of his grace if we so choose. So what? What does that do for me, for you today? How does that change anything? Um, this last spring, I got the opportunity to go to the Met in New York with um, my wife, which is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's this huge museum with a lot of old, pretty expensive things in it. And we walked around and we went upstairs and there's this room. And in this room had all these paintings. And then you go through and you kind of wind back. And then you get to this room and it's full of Van Goghs, right? These paintings that are painted by the artist Van Gogh. And they're awesome. And Danielle and I were taking pictures and we were like, wow, this is, I mean, it really was stunning. And it really was uh, so impressive that like, a human just has that ability and that creativity to, to do that. I mean, it was these paintings that kind of elicited emotion even. And it was really, really amazing, right? Do you know how those Van Goghs have affected um, the choices I make as a parent? Do you know how those Van Goghs that I got to walk into that room and, and see and put my eyes on, uh, do you know how they've affected how I lead and love my wife? Do you know how they've affected my day-to-day life? absolutely none absolutely none they have affected my life outside of that when I remember them or when when someone brings it up I think yeah those are awesome and they are beautiful wow yes that that is amazing and then I go on with the rest of my life because it doesn't really affect my day-to-day life I believe they're there they're real I even marvel at them I'll even be like oh man if you can get to the Met I'll advertise I'll be an I'll be an evangelist for the Van Goghs you gotta go see them if you're in New York man you they're great it's really you gotta go check those out but it has not changed my life in any way I don't make any decisions based on what I saw and what I experienced the third and final aspect of the gospel that, that we've got to discuss is that the gospel has to be personal. It's got to be personal. Right? To, to truly understand and to receive the gospel, right? We have to realize that this is a historic reality, right? We've laid the ground. God has done something literally in history. And then he's laid this foundation of what it means of who he is and how we can relate to him and what Jesus is and how we have access to him. And then it leads to these massive personal implications, right? If the gospel is only a historical event that you nod your head to and a theological belief that you even marvel and sing songs about and even get emotional about and show up and sing, yes, I believe this is who God is and I believe this is how he interacts with, I believe this is who Jesus is and I sing songs, if it stays historical and theological and even if I'm a huge fan of that theology and I worship but it's not personal it doesn't personally change our day-to-day life then I I think we're trading the gospel for something that's false I think you're trading the gospel for something less than what it is the personal implications are going to show the evidence of the belief that true sons and daughters have in their life Romans 10, 9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This glimpse of saving faith, that 
man, I'm, I'm not only confessing, I'm believing in my heart that Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's above. He's the one who bridged. It was all about him. He was God's plan to redeem us and connect with us and adopt us to now I'm his son. You're his daughter if, you're, if you have that saving faith, if you have that trust. The, the personal change and the personal reality that the gospel brings is not just a magic switch that will happen automatically, right? It's not just a, a prayer you pray to confess with your mouth and a theological head nod, right? It's a result of what happens when they're saving faith and trust and surrender into the gospel reality. Remember Ephesians 2, Paul says, um, we talked about it last week, we are saved by grace through faith. Our God's, listen, our God's grace, he's so good, he's so kind. What Nathan said at the beginning is so true. No matter where you are, no matter how far, no matter how many doubts, no matter what, your life, no matter how many bad decisions you've made, we believe God's grace is more powerful than that. You don't have to fake it in this room. You don't have to show up and pretend to be all churchy, right? God meets us where we are because he's that gracious, right? God's grace and his kindness in the gospel is the beginning and the end of our hope to have a relationship with him, right? In this life and in eternity, but it is activated by faith in that gospel. It's, we're saved by God's grace, make no mistake, but it is our faith that activates that. Right? Paul articulates how he applies this gospel. I love this. It's one of my favorite verses. You're gonna, we're literally going to preach it here in a couple weeks, but you'll probably hear us say it a lot because I, it's just so beautiful. Paul, how, how, what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean for it to be the theological to become personal? Look what he says. Galatians 2.20, this is how the apostle describes this thing in his heart, his life. This is how he justifies this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he's saying, hey, because of, the, because of what Jesus did, because of who the theology of who God is and who Christ is, what that means for me personally is I've been crucified. I'm dead with Jesus. I have been crucified with him. And now, now it's Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, walking around, doing the dishes, eating, interacting with other people, my day-to-day life, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? That's, th- that's, this, that's this mission statement of who Paul is because it's gone from just, yep, I know that that happened and I know what that means about God, but here's how it changes everything. My life isn't my own. I'm his. Everything I do now is his because I'm designed for it, because it's better, because there's life and life abundant in being his. It's beautiful and that's what we are called to and that's the depth of the true gospel that is available, that we, me included, drift from and make it about myself. This gospel he preaches is historical, it's theological, but it changes everything for him personally. Here's a question. Has or is the gospel believed in such a way in your life that it's changing everything about your personal life? Has the gospel been believed by you? Do you trust in in what God has done and what that says about you and him and how I access him and what his word reveals to me? Is that there in a way that changes every aspect of your life? Let me give some examples of personal implications of the gospel, right? Um, The gospel changes how I treat money. 
right? That the gospel changes how I see sex. The gospel changes how I view leaders in my life. The gospel changes how I view people I lead in my life. It changes how I see fear. It revolutionizes my priority. It revolutionizes my perspective of community, right? It, 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 it has implications uh, of how I spend my Friday evenings. All of those things come from that. Um, somebody's really hurt you, right? We, we've all been hurt. Somebody's really hurt you, let's say, in your life. Maybe they cheated on you. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they were supposed to be something for you, and they just dropped the ball. You've experienced hurt. You might have something that comes to mind that when you are in the room with them, it is maddening. It's frustrating. You can feel the bitterness. You can feel the lack of forgiveness. I get it. And for valid reasons, right? What they did was wrong. What they did was unjust. The gospel is this thing that actually allows me to be able to forgive them because the theological reality of what that historical event did means that I have been forgiven. And so then what the gospel does is it teaches me, okay, I, I can look at the debt that's been forgiven me. Uh, instead of being overwhelmed by, by what has happened against me, I can look about how I have been the betrayer. I have been the one who has stabbed a holy and perfect God in the back, and yet he's looked at my betrayal and said, I love you. And not only do I love you, not only do I forgive you, I'm going to sacrifice my son because of your betrayal, because I still want to be connected with you. What? That's the, that's the gospel, and then it changes how I'm able to forgive somebody who doesn't deserve my forgiveness, but I don't, I don't need them to deserve it, because I didn't deserve forgiveness. You didn't deserve forgiveness. It changes how I see other people, right? I, I see somebody who I just am annoyed by. I'm like, I don't want to hang out with that person. That person just drives me crazy, and I don't really want to be around them, and it's awkward, and the conversations are awkward. And, oh, God, please don't put me in a, in a group project with that person. Please. The gospel then changes because all of a sudden I start to see through this lens of, wait, I, I don't belong. I shouldn't belong. And yet God has said, yes, you can belong here. You can be adopted. Not because, wow, you're so great and so savvy and you're so beautiful and I want to adopt you as my son or my daughter, but no, because... I'm not, yet the gospel comes along and says, and so then all of a sudden it changes how I see other people. It changes how I see people who are lonely or hurting or isolated, and it makes me say, man, I want to go and do for them. It, it changes all of those things, right? It changes how I see myself when I look into the mirror. It changes um, the words that I, I look at myself and I have all these tapes of what the world says I should look like or who I should be, and the gospel changes that because he's my father. He's the one who sets my value or um, or how I see the opposite sex, not just as something I want, not just something as you want, but as something that God has designed as a daughter of the king, because you're adopted and they're adopted, that he created them. A daughter of the king is how, how godly men start to see women. It's a daughter of the king, whether she acts like it or not, you know it's true. She might not know it's true. Or, or women who, who see men and they say, that's a, that's a brother in Christ. I need to not be judgmental of him. I need to be kind. I need to see him as, as a brother. It changes everything, right? These are just a few. The rest of this year, the rest of this ministry, as we preach, we're just going to keep running into implications of if this is true, how does it change our day-to-day -day life, right? And, and let me show you something, too. These implications are not disconnected from the rest of the gospel, right? They really reveal they reveal that I really 
believe and put my trust, they flow from the rest of the gospel, right? Um, if you walk away from a sermon like this, if you walk away from a sermon like this and you think, yeah, okay, I need to, I need to do some things differently in my day-to-day life. I need to not just treat church as a compartment. I need to just start doing more church good things on a weekly basis. If that's what you're walking out of the sermon with, um, I ain't mad at you, but that's not, that's not, that's, that's not the point. Um, yes, God calls us to be holy, and so yes, there should be change in our life, but, but I think you're missing it, and I think that's going to wear out at some point. My hope is we all walk away asking, how deep is my trust in what God has done for me? That's what I hope we leave here with. God, how deep is my trust of what you've done? Do I believe? Do I see you as Father? Do I believe what you've done? Listen real carefully. As a, as a pastor in your life, how do I say this? My primary concern for you, and please don't misinterpret me here, my primary concern is not your sobriety next weekend. Right? My, my primary concern is not whether you hook up with that guy or that girl next weekend. My primary concern as a pastor in your life <laughs> is that you would see God for who he is, that you would believe and trust, that you wouldn't just say, okay, I'm not supposed to hook up with this person because it's no, no, that you would see, I get what you're doing. I get how you design sex and how beautiful it is. I get what you're doing. I get how you designed me to belong, that I don't need to have a solo cup in my hand to, to find my belonging or, or coping, or that I don't need that, that it's okay to be set apart in ways that aren't judgmental and aren't churchy, and that, that my hope is not just, hey, you're sober, or, or you, you don't make this mistake, or that mistake, or this mistake, but my, my, my hope is next time you find yourself in a solo cup, and that's a, that's a device for you, a coping mechanism, a trap for you, that you'd look at that and you'd say, man, do I, do I really believe 2,000 years ago God sent his son to die for me and he sacrificed his life because I believe a creator desires to know me deeper and that he's got something better for me and that all of a sudden it starts to shape. What am I doing? How shallow is this? Where am I trying to find my adoption, my value, my worth? Who's my king? That our depth of belief would grow and grow and grow and move us to, yes, live lives that look different, but not because we're supposed to be churchy and we're, that's on the naughty list and this is on the good list, but because we believe it and it's better. And God says, follow me. I'm giving you grace, grace, grace. You don't have to earn it. Be adopted and believe who I am and what I've said about you. And there are some of you who have not yet done that, and I love that you're here and you're investigating. Or maybe some of you have said, okay, I nod my head to, yeah, I would have always said I believe the gospel, I believe Jesus, I believe that Jesus paid for my sins. But then you look at your life and you think, I don't, yeah, I don't really look that different other than here I am at 9 o'clock at church. But outside of that, I mean, I'm slightly better than other people, but that's my standard. My standard is not this deep, growing belief that's changing my life because of a relationship I have with the Creator. It's, you know, I'm better than the average. In my backyard, I now have a house, right, that my, my parents live in, and it's awesome. Free babysitting on the other side of the driveway. Well, well next to that is my next-door neighbor, Miss Karen. She's the nicest person in the world. She has a pool. And Miss Karen um, 
she says we can swim in her pool anytime we want, right? Anytime we want, we can swim in that pool, and she means it. She is seriously the nicest lady ever, and so there's a few things that happen there. I I believe, historically, she put a pool in her backyard. I believe that. I know that to be true. I could go look at, um, I could go look at building records, and in 1998, she put a pool in her backyard. I can see the evidence. I believe the evidence that there's a pool there. I also can believe that that pool that exists has implications because I love swimming, and I know how to swim, actually, and it's great, and I live in Texas, and I would enjoy swimming in that pool, and I'm a big fan of swimming, especially in the summer good, good stuff. And I would tell other people, oh, swimming is the best, and we've got a pool that has access to us anytime. Both of those things can be true. But then I could just live my life completely bone dry of never actually trusting and surrendering and saying, okay, not only do I believe this happened, not only do I believe the realities and the implications, but I surrender to it. Crucified with Christ, the life I now live in college, I live for you because you bought me. 2,000 years ago, and I want that because that's where life is, and I have yet to find that in all of the other places I look. And you will never find that in all the places you look. You might not be there yet. You might not be there yet. You might still be trying to find and trying to, well, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do this, and I'll do some some gospel also, and I'll, I'll believe some. Until you surrender, you're never gonna really live life and life abundant. That's the gospel. That's its implications for you. Our hope and our prayer is that all of us, not as a one-time magic switch, but that we would be people who just keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper in what it means that by grace we are saved. Father, you're good. You love us. And we love you because you first loved us. Um, But God, just like the Galatians, our love, um, my life, My love is shallow at times, God. My love can be really shallow and really fickle. I can get so easily distracted. Yet you just never give up on us. You never give up on me. And we have this hope, this gospel that is living in us, constant, this living hope that we get to to see on a day-to-day basis. Help us understand. Help my my brothers and my sisters and my friends in this room. Help us not just hear another sermon, but Holy Spirit, take your truth, reveal yourself, open our eyes to see what you've done, how it changes everything, but it requires us to respond. requires us to trust and surrender, to lay down our lives, and then on a daily basis to say more of you, more of you, less of me. You're good, God. Help us believe it. In the name of Jesus, amen.